Good day. You are in the presence of three young, budding artists in the prime of their craft. No, you're not. This is the Well Actually podcast, and uh, I'm joined by my two good friends, Matt Mailer and Christian Kalmbach. Um, and uh, guys, I think it goes without saying that all of us uh, are, are kind of like most artists in that um, we think we're really better than we are. Um, <laughs> at, and we're really angsty about being as great as we are and not feeling able to express ourselves. Um, mm. Oh man, we need the sardonic seagull. That's got to get off the ground. Um, for those of you who aren't sure if we're kidding, we totally are. Um, that being said, guys, we've talked at ad nauseum about the fact that we uh, all have different artistic talents. Um, I would definitely say Matt is the kind of reigning musical prodigy uh, <laughs> of the bunch. Christian, you certainly have some serious musical talent, and I have like minimal musical talent, but I'd say you mediocre. <laughs> guys, if if Brad can become a rock sensation and a star is born, there's hope for Austin Hall. <laughs> oh, man. I want to see that. You've got, got, got the face for it, man. You've got the face I just, for it. I, thank you. No, I, you just got to really get that grit, you know? Like you're going to rip a line and, and just, you know, guzzle down some booze before you go out to, to sing. You know? <laughs> some Dustin Kinsrue grit. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. that kind of <clears throat> Seattle punk rock mm -hmm. yeah no, he, uh, that's a we'll get back to that maybe later but anyways um so we all kind of have different little little um entry points into the artistic world but um art and christianity have been uh let's call them a little tenuous um over the years in that christians either see art as um, something to be used and sort of manipulated in order to uh, do a worship song, um, or they don't touch art because they're afraid of uh, losing the content or losing the message. Um, particularly within the Reformed tradition, um, there's been a lot of kickback and weird reactions to things like stained glass windows, uh, organs even, uh, musical instruments at all. Um, and so I thought we could talk about what is art, first of all, just from a completely humanistic standpoint, and then what is the role of art in the Christian faith, or rather, how do Christians use art? Um, and uh, maybe we can start with function, and then we can get into ethics a little later. Hmm. So, uh, Matt, kick it off. Uh, give us your opening thoughts on art. What is art? It's been a while since I took philosophy of art, but yeah, art... I mean, if you want to ask, if you ask a philosopher how to define art, like it's gonna, it's that's a big question. Um, It'll take like five books. Yeah, it takes like five books. I, I mean, sort of muddy around for a while and be like, well, what is questions? You know, yeah. <laughs> what what is a question? No, um, I mean, so I, I think one thing that's telling is that at least in in the West, right, that is like in Europe and America, like all the major philosophers since you know the medieval period and before have talked about art. So art is huge, right? And it permeates our lives in so many ways, so many ways that we don't even think of, right? Even the buildings that we kind of like sit in that we think of just as normal spaces, those have been designed by a person, you know, with particular, you know, functionality and ideas in mind. So like even architecture, right, is art in some capacity. Art, I think is, I mean, so you could take a very expansive definition of art and you could talk about art as just being like, uh, any kind of like human creative action, right? Um, so it, you can literally make it that big or you can make it uh, more like institutional. So it's like, it's like a human creative action that is like, like purposed for 
uh, um, some kind of like, you know, visual or auditory like enjoyment, right? So like I create music, you know, in a particular space for uh, someone to hear, whereas like my singing in the shower, maybe that's not art because like it's no one's hearing me say, well, maybe people are hearing me like my neighbors, but anyway, uh, you know, so hopefully not. Um, so it just kind of, so it, it, yeah, it depends. But you, so you can take a really expansive view or a really narrow view. I think for myself, I just like taking the more expansive view. I like thinking of human creative actions more broadly as just art um, and not kind of like tying it to like an institution, like a museum or a concert hall or tying it to uh, some kind of like particular like activity, like art is only within the confines of like, you know, like painting or sculpting or music or something like that. I like to think of it more broadly, but maybe people have other ideas. Christian? Yeah, I think that's a great, great place to start. I'd maybe add in that the concept of beauty has to be really closely associated with however we are going to define what art is. Yeah. And, and that doesn't make defining it any easier because if art's <laughs> difficult to find to define beauty is much more difficult to define, <laughs> but I I'd probably say something along the lines of art is some kind of human creative and therefore physical expression of beauty. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, what you guys think about that, but just getting out the side that art has to be uh, a physical product um, because mm -hmm. we're, we're physical material beings. And, and in that way, art affirms the, the goodness of the material world. Hmm. Yeah. So you can almost separate art into one category as an, as a, thing that you create you create art but then there's also acting just in our day-to-day -day lives artistically um taking a creative approach to something and trying to um imbue it with beauty and and different things um i know at least there, yeah because the issue is you know behind saying what is art um is that in some ways it's it's subjective to the time and the culture and the place um you know, I don't think any of us ever pictured that we would get to the place in our society where like slam poetry was considered art, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, well, which, well, which slam poetry, it, you know, at least its roots, as far as I understand it, it's kind of a denial of order. So from, from a standpoint of a denial of order, or like rules and regulations, that can be seen as beautiful, you know what I mean? So um, art to me almost just feels like it's it's the – it's a human product that reveals an inner self-conception or an inner feeling of the human being. Um, yeah, perhaps you, you started to get at something that, that might lead me away from saying that it's, at, it's just an externalization of an inner feeling, though, though that's part of it. But we're at a unique time in history where artists do art for that very reason. You know, think about like mm. medieval medieval painters who who painted because some king was was paying them to right yeah. <laughs> to, to make a picture or construct you know a beautiful piece of architecture or whatever else. I mean, so so I wouldn't fill out the whole definition with self-expression because it's more than that. Right. So it's it's getting at something objective, but it's it's the it, I mean. It is, it is each person perceiving art, you know what I mean? Perceiving an objective thing. So beauty, for example, 
um, and trying to get at what that thing is, right? It's like we wouldn't we wouldn't say because the other alternative to me is saying like um, like your your interpretation of something is the object of is the objective thing in art, whereas to me art sort of feels like it's each person getting at the objective reality and trying to understand it within yeah. their, their context. Yeah. You know what I mean? There, That's what I mean by interfeeling. There's undoubtedly subjectivity. I just I was just yeah, yeah, qualifying yeah. and saying that it's not only self-expression. Right. Right. So this sort of um, this sort of begets maybe the next part, which is um, how are we to um, kind of move into the sphere of art? Um, we could go through the different you know uh, eras. Um, currently, we find ourselves in the postmodern era, where everything from buildings to uh, poetry um, is sort of it reflects the worldview, which is that there's you know inner dissonance and we're trying to just put that into some sort of melody but not be too restrictive right mm -hmm. um we're not trying to have too many rules and so um so let's talk about how christians enter into art um and uh what are some of the ways what are let's let's start with this what are what is one good um form of of christian art that you've seen heard uh, been aware of and maybe one bad form um just to kind of <laughs> contrast because I know we could have a whole separate podcast on bad Christian Turn art. On Caleb. <laughs> oh, we're we're going to be taking that. Oh, I'm man. sorry. I'm sorry. Shots For those fired. of you who are listening, you just heard a bleep sound. We had to bleep out the uh, – <laughs> the, 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 No, but uh, tell us. Tell us that hot take, uh, CC. That was, that was something. But tell us, tell us why there's some fire behind that. Yeah. What you're – what you brought up a little earlier, maybe it was before we started recording, but just that there's um, there's there's content and then there's performance and and sometimes you know things lack in in one or the other. And I think a lot of a lot of the stuff coming out on K Love is lacking in both. It's not very deep content wise. Yeah. And then it's just not that creative performance yeah. wise. It's it's a lot of you know, let's, you know, repeat a chorus 30 times and the chorus is about three words maximum. Um, and, you know, this is me being super pessimistic. Obviously, there's, there's not only garbage on Kayla, just predominantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're an idiot. I just think you're an idiot most of the time. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. Um, Matt, what, what's, uh, well, actually CC, so you can, uh, so you're not the, the well actually curmudgeon. Um, what, what is one good form of Christian art that you um, have been aware of or enjoyed over the years? Oh man, there's, there's so much that in the last four or five years have been, uh, that has been instrumental to my faith. I think when I, um, was a very new Christian. One thing that I, I really felt was absent in my transition to Christianity was good art, specifically music, and finding creative Christian artists who were, were whose content was deep gospel truth, um, but also performed really well. That was 
huge. You're talking here about music specifically. Yeah, music specifically. Yeah. Um, yeah, we won't even you know, get into Christian filmmaking today. We're just going to leave that topic alone. <laughs> and, yeah, we're oh, looking at man. you, Kirk Cameron. Thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, m- my wife and I just watched Nick Cage's. Oh, uh, goodness. No, stop behind. it. You know what? The next episode's going to start. It's got a booming, no. booming well, 1% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> the Well Actually podcast has just removed one of its members. Disqualified <laughs> for even mentioning that movie. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, Matt, talk, talk a little bit about as um, you, you've talked a lot about how a lot of the classical composers um, were very adamant that uh, not only the content that they were producing, which sometimes exists, right, in Latin. Um, there's some there's some choruses yeah. and some singing. But most of the time, um, with somebody maybe like Bach or Mozart, there's no singing. It's just, it's chords. Um, and so a lot of people might not know that these guys had robust faith, um, but they really believed they were creating Christian art. Um, maybe give us a clearer definition of Christian art with somebody like a uh, Bach um, or a Mozart in mind. Yeah, that's... Um... I mean, so Christian art for Bach and Mozart, I mean, it comes out most clearly, I'm most familiar with Bach. And right now I'm with, a, I'm singing with a choir that's performing Bach's uh, St. John Passion, which is like his retelling of the, the passion story of Jesus, like, you know, trial and crucifixion um, in the Gospel of John. Uh, so like the, the text there, like makes it super Christian because you're just kind of retelling the story. And what's, what's most interesting are these choruses that Bach inserts. So he uses the text of John and like, and like basically verbatim, to tell the story, but then he like inserts these choruses that he wrote himself in terms of like the lyrics mm. um, to like provide commentary. Like, so I have a couple of them here. So like one of the choruses, you know, he says, Oh, help Christ son of God through your bitter passion that we being always obedient to you might shun all vice, your death and its cause consider fruitfully so that although poor and weak, we might offer you Thanksgiving. So this kind of reflection on, you know, despite the fact that there is this bitter passion, this, this, this suffering and crucifixion of Jesus, uh, that it might serve for us as a means of obedience to like shun vice and to um, uh, offer up thanksgiving to God. Or at the very end of the passion, uh, he sings this, that he writes this almost like a lullaby for, for Jesus, which is very interesting. This is being laid into the tomb. And the text there reads like, rest well, you blessed limbs, now that I will no longer mourn you rest well and bring me also to peace the grave that is allotted to you and encloses no further suffering opens heaven for me and closes off hell right so this reflection on like jesus being laid into the tomb and the tomb like as it as oh you almost like kind of this idea of the tomb as it's being shut opens the door for heaven uh for um you know me and you and everyone so like you know, so there, like, it's just this very rich, you know, Bach actually being almost like a theologian in terms of the text that he writes. And then how he orchestrates that musically is just like, you know, uh, incredible skill. So for instance, like, um, I don't want to go on too long about this, but there's another piece by Bach called the Bach. It's a mass in B minor. So it's for, uh, it's for like a Catholic service. Um, there's a, uh, there was a famous, um, I forget his name now, obviously, because it always happens when I'm trying to remember <laughs> people's names. Um, but he was, he was, a he was a very, he was at MIT. He was an atheist and he was a, like a, a, nuclear, a physicist or something like that. Very smart guy. Loved classical music though. And sang with the Boston, you know, like, you know, some choir there or whatever. But when he was in an interview, he said, he was asked like, okay, let's say we found intelligent life. What would you want to send from humanity to this intelligent life as like a token of like our best 
like artistic endeavor. And he said, I want to send them to Bach mass and B minor, you know? And so even though, even though he was like an atheist, even though he probably didn't agree with, you know, the, the actual text, which praises God, et cetera, like he recognized in Bach's artistic, like just genius that this is just like a monumental work, right? That it, that it gets at something that is, that is transcendent, that is, you know, somehow just expressive of our humanity um, but in a very, you know, an interesting way. So, so like Christian artists like that. So anyway, so Christian art in general, I think is something that, yeah, is, is either textually, um, or is written, uh, for instrumental, like as a solo violin piece in order to, um, give glory to God. And I think it gives glory to God. It, it you know, some people worry about instrumental music, especially in like, we'll get to liturgy next week, but like in terms of like offertories, you know, like when churches are taking an offering and they have like someone perform like a piece, like some churches are a little scared about that because they don't want the attention to be like on a performer and like take it from God or something like that. But I think another view is that, you know, if we take a look at who we are as human beings, right, that if we're, we're made in the image of God and we're set in this earth, which is fundamentally good, you know, God calls it good um, in Genesis, and we're set in here with all these materials, right? And we're kind of, in one, way, one of the ways classically that we inhabit kind of like the image of God is that we create you know and so the idea of like human beings is, and that's why I, I like to keep my definition of art is be very broad you know because i think a lot of times when we act as creators we are acting as artists and and i think god wants us to develop those kinds of skills so like you know when i get to share you know a bach you know violin i play the violin and i'm a classically trained violin so when i get to share like a bach sonata you know piece of that with with my church body during the offertory you know or whatever um, some people might take it as he's just showing off. Some people might, might be tempted to say, well, you know, he's a really good violinist and then not forget about God. But, you know, I think in that context, right, like as, as a Christian musician, like I, I am developing the skill that God has given me and I'm, and I'm offering it up to God, um, in this service, hopefully so that some people can listen to it and be inspired and be drawn closer to God. Hmm. Yeah. And to add on to that, Matt, not only are we as image bearers of God creators? And, and that's part of what art is about, but God himself is an artist. Yeah. I mean, we look at creation and, and art is about proportion and, and harmony and different, um, you know, diverse things fitting together beautifully. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what beauty is. And, and God's creation does that. And so we as sub creators, our, our art as Christians sees the, the beauty, um, the beautiful proportions within creation and responds to those um, artistically. And, mm-hmm. and, and so Austin, there is that subjective element to art that you got at earlier, but art's more of a response to what to the art that God has done than than just a, a response to a feeling in myself right which you could say the feeling in yourself is also something God made so well but the feeling would well. be a response to something right yeah and so that that's um yeah I think both of you hit at what I know J.R. Tolkien he actually um when he was talking with Lewis I think it's while Lewis was still an atheist Lewis was kind of was kind of mocking um, Tolkien's endeavors to, you know, create worlds and to write different things. And he said, well, if you're a Christian, aren't you just supposed to sort of rehash the gospels and um, <laughs> try to like, you know, 
make them cool and and uh, Tolkien actually defended creating for creating sake and, and in other words art could be informed by a Christian worldview simply by a person uh, laboring well and laboring creatively mm -hmm. to make something beautiful yeah um, so we're not ex nihilo creators but in a sense um, when we talk about you know arts conception um, we were taking something um, that is already um, in existence and we are reforming it and re um, making it and combining it with different things to produce something beautiful um, which is essentially what poetry is it's the it's the conglomerate of words and sentences and pauses and rhymes and um, imagery um, to create uh, a theme um, that's what music is combining notes combining instruments combining players and all these different things so um, so Tolkien's own view at least was that he said if, if God is the creator um, then he said then we are uh, sub creators under the creator mm -hmm. um, and the other interesting little nuance he added in was um, in this essay he wrote to Lewis was that evil itself can't create um, in other words evil uh -huh. itself can only pervert so yep. when I hear people saying um, and this gets a little bit more into the theological realm, but um, for example, Christian, when a favorite artist of yours says that they think uh, Kanye West is glorifying God um, with his art, um, in, in, a, in a strict sense, it's almost like whenever, when someone says everyone's a child of God. Um, for those of you who don't maybe know what that is talking about, that's, that's generally speaking, everyone's made in the image and likeness of God. We are created children in that sense, but we're not inheriting children. Um, we're not right with God. We would be considered wayward um, in that sense. Now, in the art sense, it's, it seems like it's similar, right? Um, you're glorifying God in the sense that you are, you are being a creator. But I don't think you could say that like Nazis who came up with the idea of concentration camps were glorifying God. You know, not to compare, we're not comparing um, anybody yeah. to the Nazis. Yeah. But we're just saying to take an extreme example, you can't say, oh, well, they were being creative, weren't they? Who, wow, acid showers. Nobody ever thought of that. Um, what we would look at and go, that's horrifying. That's a perversion yeah. of art. They took yeah. a concept, shower. It's something that somebody uses to wash dirt off and it's something to care for the creation. You know what I mean? It's really creative to like pull water through pipes and like clean people off in a more efficient way than baths, you know, sitting in your own <laughs> filth. But then what somebody did is they took something that was really beautiful and really helpful to humanity, which is maybe a good definition of art, something that's beautiful and helpful to God's creation, about mm -hmm. God's creation. And then they perverted it by putting acid through it and, and committing genocide. Yeah. Um, so there's a sense in which you can't say that you, that art is um, Christian just because um, somebody does it well. There has to be, it seems, an intent um, to, to display, like you were saying, Christian, some form of objective beauty either in God's creation or in God's own nature himself. Yeah. yeah um, but it has to be something that's beneficial. So somebody rapping about, um, you know, calling women derogatory names, that's not helpful to humanity. It's destructive. Yeah. It's perverted. Um, whereas something, something like, you know, what KB does or Lecrae does or beautiful eulogy or propaganda who are also rappers, what they do is beautiful and glorifying to God because there's also not just quality, but intent. Yeah. Um, so quality and intent mm -hmm. or content, we could even say, um, yeah. I don't know I think if you that just hit on something. I think you just hit on something really good, uh, really helpful that, that art has to be helpful. I mean, that is, yeah. Think, think about like what a good piece of art can do. Yeah. Art, art when it's done well, 
because it's responding to the proportions of created reality can help us see creation right right Our, so so when we feel overwhelmed by the the weight of sin and misery in the world art can can be a a tool that reminds us that the artist um you know though there's though there's dark strokes in the painting um right. the, the image will be unfathom unfathomably beautiful right and not to even put too fine a point on it in terms of theology but i do know that um see let's get a little a greek nerdy in ephesians 2 paul says um for we are god's workmanship mm. but workmanship yeah. is actually a bad translation it literally says in greek we are god's poema from which we get our english word poem um we are god's poem you know mm. um mm. he he's he and it's it's such a strong word about you know and we we can get into it on future apps but since people already sort of know where we stand in terms of how we see soteriology and sanctification um the calvinist reads that and goes my goodness uh poems don't write themselves do they um an artist sits down and conceives of the idea and writes the idea and publishes the idea and then the idea goes out and blesses others if yeah. it's done well and so in in that sense Paul sees our salvation itself as something that God did. Um, and yeah. then not only did God do it, but he's actually sent us out to go and be a beautiful yeah. representation of his nature. Um, and, yeah. and that's one of those examples, again, where, like, you can't say, like, I made a decision to be a poem, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and think, about, yeah. think about how comforting that is to think about right. salvation as God's artistic, you know, remaking of, of what he intended yeah, man. it's not just I mean, that's, legal. It's like God doesn't just, um, you know, give us because he has to. It's a free artistic work, and it's a mm. work that he delights in. Mm. Like the creator yeah. of the universe delights in what he has artistically made yeah. and remade. That's, yeah, that's a comforting truth. Matt, you can speak on this. Actually, I want to hear you talk on it. I just wanted to introduce the idea, but <laughs> – um, describe to our audience and maybe even CC if he hasn't gotten to this part in the book yet. Uh, this the way we're describing God, especially the way Paul describes him in Ephesians two, sounds an awful lot like Tom Bombadil, right? Who's kind of happily going about this really dark region and singing, you know, yeah. <laughs> singing and dancing, and just kind of untouched by darkness. Um, in fact, the many I know a lot of Tolkien scholars think that that was his conception of divine joy, which was just this kind mm -hmm. of un untethered force that just healed things by its joy yeah. um, and its art. But talk a little bit about his character and maybe how that can influence our view of God in, even in an evil world. Yeah. So Tom, I mean, Tom Bobbidel is like one of this, like when you meet him in the Lord of the Rings, um, he's kind of an enigma uh, in the sense that <laughs> you kind of don't know what to do with him. Uh, so in the story of the Lord of the Rings, the hobbits like Frodo, Sam, Merry and Pippin, they're all escaping the Shire and they're trying to escape from these black figures called the ring race that are trying to, um, you know, chase after them because Frodo has the ring. Right. And so they go into this place called the old forest and they end up uh, and then go into these, uh, what are called like the Barrow Downs and they get kind of captured by these whites which are like kind of undead zombie like kind of like creatures you know um, and so they're in this tomb and then suddenly that you know out of nowhere comes this uh, you know this kind of singing and then this character named Bomb Bombadil who's just kind of like talks in song uh, sing kind of sings talks in song he kind of bursts through and just displays this like 
immense amount of power by bringing down the the kind of walls and showing this light through that causes the whites to flee and and rescues the hobbits and brings them back to his home and uh and even you know even frodo you know frodo even gandalf right this this wizard this uh who's also this kind of embodied eternal being right he's he himself is somewhat like at points struggles with the temptation for the ring at least initially or kind of has this like you know, like, I can't even, like, touch this thing. Like, I can't even be near this thing, Gandalf, you know, thinks. You know, and, and, uh, but then Bombadil just kind of, like, picks up the ring, and he kind of, like, holds it up to his eye, and he looks through it, and he's kind of, like, making fun of it, and then just kind of, like, you know, puts it on, and nothing happens, and then, like, gives right. it back to Frodo. And, you know, so it's just, like, it's, like, who is this guy? Like, even Gandalf is, like, scared of this ring, but Bombadil just doesn't care, you know? And that's kind of, that's kind of his character is that, I mean, so some people think that, like, you know, he has to be some kind of like spirit or some kind of like, some people think he's the embodiment of like the kind of God figure in uh, um, in Tolkien's world. There's a lot of theories about it, but the basic idea is that, you know, the ring is something that that corrupts because someone, some, you, you want something, you want power, you want to save your people, you want to, you know, you know, uh, you know, make world peace or whatever. And the ring says to you in his little voice, you know, take me and I can give it to you, right? I'll give you the power to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bombadil is someone who just has this immense power, but also doesn't, is free of like this desire for anything. Like he doesn't want Mm -hmm. power. He doesn't need power. He doesn't want to like, you know, do anything expressly. Like, I mean, he does, but you know, like, but he's not tempted by that. Right. And so Mm -hmm. it's kind of this idea of like divine joy as, as like when, when you are, you know, really, you know, kind of in love with God, when you, when you really feel like divine joy, it's like, you know, you see, temptation all around you you know and you and, but it doesn't have any effect upon you it just kind of bounces off of you you know you don't you don't really care uh at it and it just it feels it seems so small you know yeah um and in some sense like that's i don't know like speaking as an artist like that's how i get sometimes when i sing like bach or i sing you know especially stuff especially stuff with words especially is that when i'm in the middle of singing that stuff or performing it you know it's like you're kind of lost in this in this joy and this kind of just you know uh, not primal, but it's very, you know, intimate moment of just expression. And really like all of, all of those worries, those concerns, you know, sins, temptations, all that stuff, it just kind of fades the background and you kind of like laugh at them. You're like, but mm. it, what, what, what did I do? Why, why was that a big deal? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's what, that's what art I think has Christian art, especially has the power to do, you know, mm. art is, art is healing, you know, like, and that's because, you know, human beings, like God created us, you know, with a kind of rational side, we think, we argue, you know, we, we construct these things, but also God created us to feel things very deeply, you know, mm. and to feel, to feel pain and sorrow, but also to feel joy and happiness to feel and feel love, you know, all these deep, rich, complex emotions and art helps us, a good art helps us to live out those emotions. Like yeah. it's, it's fascinating to me that people really enjoy movies that make them sad. Like, like we, we think like we a think, star is born, which dude, it blows my mind too. Out. Yeah. Or, right. Or super scared. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. 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 Like, but, but like, like, you know, people hate feeling sad, but they like want to experience sadness and like a safe. Yeah. Place. They want art that helps them. It's, um, it's like a brave new world. Do you remember the feelies? They go to the yeah. feelies. It's these movie theaters where they go and they get strapped up because their whole society is based on pills and all these different things. And they strap themselves up and they can feel whatever emotion, whether it's like eroticism or fear or happiness or what, like, it's this weird experience. But the way Aldous Huxley like describes it is sort of like that, where it's like, they want to feel something. They want to be shocked. I wonder though, if part of it is that 
but we're by nature empathetic beings and we want to yeah. participate in yeah. you know the the emotion and and the even even if it's despair of other people because we're just created to be other oriented maybe that's mm-hmm. trying Community to pull driven. something yeah so if we were going to put a a sort of um uh sort of a point uh, well let's talk about because this this is going to get into something we're going to do in the next coming weeks but um maybe maybe we could because it sounds like we're moving in this direction um talk about what are ways that the church itself um can use artistic talent um and also can try to be artistic in the way that it goes about we could get into sermons songs um we will exclude sacraments for now uh, as we will be addressing artistic, uh, the artisticness of Christian liturgy. Uh, and if you don't know what liturgy is, we'll get to a good definition of that um, as well. But we are going to just talk about church itself, uh, maybe for the final closing minutes. Yeah, I think I, I think one thing churches could uh, can utilize in art is to think of more about space. You know, like mm-hmm. we, we don't think about mm-hmm. that a lot. And 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 you know, obviously, like you don't need to be in the nicest building to like worship obviously and like you know when jesus you know jesus even says you know in you know in the coming days so people will worship in spirit and in truth and, and and he's and he's distancing it from from this debate over like this the the temple in samaria and the temple in jerusalem and and so there's a sense in which in the new testament there's kind of like well it doesn't it doesn't like matter that much when you have the holy spirit like where you are to worship but if we're talking about practicality yeah there is something about a space that influences us like like you know so there's studies done on people who work in cubicles right and and the the studies are like your workspace where you spend all that time like it can really affect you emotionally yeah. and like people will develop you know depression because they're in cubicles you know or maybe not depression but you know like they'll be on the whole like more sad or something feel more negative feelings or something just like a, that. that's just a fancy term for being bummed out but right yeah <laughs> oh, yeah well, that's great office quote yeah <laughs> it's not it's not that space isn't something that's like good for our humanness in in some sense and so when we're at the church as well like yeah. we should be thinking about like is this building is this kind of layout like is this good for our expression of worship and and we'll get to that a little bit next yeah. so there's there's the building i think the the music is something like i think people are uh are caught um i mean i think there's a lot of times in christian art in general there's a kind of sacrificing of com- like complexity and nuance for uh you know I, I don't know what for actually but you know like you look at someone like Bach for instance and it's like someone who has just this extreme you know high ability of artistic talent as well as just like incredible content and it's like best of both worlds obviously Bach's music isn't as relevant to a lot of people nowadays and I know there are a lot of Christian artists out there who have really high talent who are also putting together more content but I think we need more of that can I throw a caveat in there? Yeah. So let's let's de- let's define it in terms of corporate versus individual church. So you and okay. I each are members of the church, but maybe in terms of a corporate setting, right? Um, it might be hard for um, a church that has no artistic talent, or a church that does, but um, can risk losing the congregation and the non-artistic members of the congregation in the really high. Uh, nature of the art itself. So is there a component to where it's not necessarily not caring about art, but it's trying to figure out what's best for all the people to engage God's people corporately? Yeah, that's what, that's what I meant with that last point about the musicians. Like, like, so, you know, performing someone like Bach, you know, for instance, like it doesn't work in every church because not everybody has the same kind of like background to access that music, you know? Um, So like, like, or access, excuse me, that music, you know? 
Uh, not everybody can Matt do has that. has an accent now. Um, yeah, I can talk. Um, so not everybody can access that music. But, you know, that's why I think, you know, even though people can access that music, we, we, we still shouldn't sacrifice, like, the kind of, like, musical rigor of our worship today. You know, so, so I'm talking about, like, using contemporary modern mediums that people can engage with. But, but like, be creative with those mediums. You know, don't yeah. feel like you have to just, like, stick with the same standard four chord progression, mm-hmm. you know, in all your songs, which a lot of people mm. do, or the same structure, you know, try to do something new, try changing the content mm. around, you know, there's a, there's a huge lack of songs and modern kind of like modern Christianity, like evangelical Christianity, a huge lack of songs that talk about like sadness and sorrow and like mm. hard, hard times. You yeah. Know? A lot of it's like, you know, be happy and be joyful in the Lord, which is great, you know, but like there's a, there's a huge lack of like content in our songs that addresses people in mourning for instance. Yeah. Um, and I would love to see more of that. Yeah. There's an interesting, cause we, we, I, I'm just going to make it a rule. We have to mention this guy once a week, but uh, Tim Keller has an interesting <laughs> quote about sorrow. He's talking about Job. And he said, if a guy came into our church with a shaved head, ashes on his forehead, tearing his clothes uh, <laughs> as an expression of sorrow, we would say, come on, man, buck up. You need to really, you know, just right, yeah, focus yeah, yeah. on the joy of your salvation. But you're right. Yeah. There's like, it's almost like, we have we not only have our simple four chord progression, but we have a four chord progression of feelings that you're allowed to access. Yeah. So it's like minor lament, you know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> and then it's like a major rise, but it can't be like it can't be some super low, um, yep. and it can't even be ex, you know intense expressions of anger, right? Um, somebody who's seen as really angry is seen as kind of unchristian, but the Psalms are filled with at times alarming examples of personal lament and anger at situations, you know, questioning of yeah. like, where's God, you know what I mean? And these sorts of things. Um, it, it feels like the song of prayer by King's Kaleidoscope sans one special word uh, would be like a really good, <laughs> honest expression of worship mm-hmm. corporately. Um, Cause the Psalms were sung corporately, but that probably won't happen because of where we are. Christian, tell us a little bit from, the uh, the speaking side of this. The one thing we haven't touched on. We've been very musical, but um, words are their own form of uh, art. Um, a sermon can be crafted and beautiful, um, yeah. which is why a lot of us love the John Pipers, Tim Keller's, uh, Martin Lo- Lloyd Joneses, um, and John Calvin's of the world, because these guys spend a lot of time not only thinking about what they're going to say, but how they're going to say it. Yeah. Um, and so, tell us from that perspective, how can the pulpit uh, engage in artistic expression. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the emphasis doesn't have to, or it has to be not only on the, the content of, of what's being said and viewing the pulpit, not just as a means of communicating information, Mm -hmm. right? That's not preaching. Isn't just about knowledge. It's about, Mm -hmm. it's about, edifying the body, stirring their emotions to praise of the triune God. Heresy, so just, no emotions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so just think about, about this example to distinguish between like words as just a communication of information and, and words as themselves, like a beautiful artistic way to express a, a thought. So, yeah. so, Charles, or who is it? Charles Dickens wrote A Tale of Two Cities. And it's probably one of the most famous opening, um, you know, lines of all time. He says, it, it was the best of times. 
it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Like he could have just said, a lot of stuff happened. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was complicated. It, it, it was a, it was it was a complicated, complicated time. Complicated, yeah. yeah, right? right. But, but it just, it would lose so much of that just bouncing back and forth and like highs and lows that's, that's in that dense sentence as it is. And so right. I say that just to say that we, can, we, we should be focused on the information we're communicating. Uh, when we teach and, and preach, um, that's that's very important. It's important that that we, in in seeking to be artistic, we don't lose the objective, yeah, truth that's that's um, that's in the Bible and that needs to be expressed mm. in preaching. But we have to do that in a winsome way. Mm. Mm. Winsome, yeah, that's a good word. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe a point to kind of cap our discussion off is. Um, I was thinking about, um, oh gosh, um, reader response theory and similar theories, but I'm talking about not just what words mean objectively, but how you arrange words or which type of objective words you use in order to create different experiences in your readers. In other words, how do I not just say this thing, the times were complicated, like with Charles Dickens, but how do I get people to sit back and process, you know, because so much of our culture is very like efficient minded. Yeah. Sometimes art like Tolkien, where he's writing about like what the scenery was and you're like, this is a fake world. Why do I care about what the mountains look like? <laughs> but for him, what it really showed was God is not in a, God is not in a hurry. Um, he is not like, Oh man, I'm really running out of time. God is just, he is, you know, yeah. um, time to God is a novelty and he is sort of displaying his purpose and redemption, calling us to live our lives in urgent ways, but also in expressive ways. Um, and that one not compromise the other. And so I was thinking about just as we're talking about music and talking about speaking and art in general, um, we can't just think about, okay, yeah, wrapping it up. How are things, um, how is our content? What am I trying to say? But then what do I want my audience to feel? Yeah. Um, what do I want them to experience in terms of God's glory and grandeur? Yeah. And how can I even sometimes lay down my rights as the artist yeah. in order to engage them further and help yeah. them attain that? Yeah. Um, That's good and point. guys, that sounds a lot like liturgy. Um, how are the sacraments? Oh, yes. Look at this. <laughs> look at this tease for next week's episode. Um, how were the sacraments themselves trying to engage certain theological truths? How did Christ condescend, term we'll come back to, in order to engage us in the superlative truths of the gospel? Uh, that is our topic for next week. Um, we have talked uh, for a while, but uh, I think we, it was a good time. So yeah, that was fun. Uh, uh, we're going to cue out with some smooth jazz music, <laughs> and uh, we hope to see you next time on the Well Actually podcast. Blessings. Thank you.